Some of you are going to find this a bit incredulous, but here's something that federal, state, and local governments all tell us to do that we should actually listen to. Eat more fruits and vegetables. You've heard about the health benefits of increasing plant-based nutrients into your diet, but how can you easily consume all the fruits and veggies needed? Well, it's easy. By adding Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity into your meals. Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity is a power blend that has 31 fruits and vegetables in every scoop. Organic vegetables, super greens, super fruits, and super sprouts. It is fortified with essential vitamins plus an immunity boost. And right now, you can get a free two-week supply of Grown American Superfood and Essential Vitamins Plus Immunity by just paying $8.95 for the shipping and handling. And not only that, you'll also get a free frother to quickly whip up your healthy and nutritious grown American drink. Go to grownamericansuperfood.com forward slash John and order today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. This is the John Fugelsang Podcast. It's been a crazy week. I'm so glad you're with us. Now, let's get started. Um, I'm glad you guys are with us uh, for this show. We're going to do a little segment now. We're thinking about calling the F-bomb. Um, now, guys, let's begin with this. Remember, Jesus was a gun-loving nationalist who deeply opposed abortion, was really against immigration, really against gay rights, and he hated uh, communists. Oh, wait, did I say Jesus? I'm, I'm so sorry. I meant Hitler. Hitler, I meant. Jesus was none of that. That was Hitler's agenda. Hitler was the one who banned abortion and hated immigration and gay rights and, and communists. Um, we're, we invite you guys, whether you're listening live or you're listening on the John Beagle Saying podcast or on Sirius XM On Demand or on the app, to always know you can call into us five nights a week from 9 p.m. till 12 midnight Eastern, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. Pacific time at 866-997-GRIT. We also invite you to write us anytime at johnfugelsang.com or the Tell Me Everything on SiriusXM Facebook page. We do write back. So there's so much that I want to talk about tonight because we've talked a lot about the revoltingly fake Christianity behind this week's gutting or potential gutting of Roe versus Wade. There's so much that I should be opening with a rant about. Our country just saw a $428,000 428, boost in new jobs added last month. The unemployment rate is still at a near record low of 3.6%. This is a full year, a full year of job growth above 400,000 jobs every month. That is the best stretch since World War II. That is Joe Biden proving he is the anti-Trump. I, I want to talk about how hospitalizations of people with COVID-19 in the U.S. have bumped up to about 20%, bumped up 20% more in the last two weeks. It's getting very scary. I want to talk about how this week is the 10-year anniversary of Vice President Joe Biden coming out during Obama's re-election and announcing he supported same-sex marriage. 
I mean, Republican senators are celebrating this by uh, demanding television content ratings be rejiggered so parents can better defend their children from any shows that might present gay people as people. I I, I, want to begin with a rant about Mike Pompeo, who really took a swipe at his former boss today. Mike Pompeo claimed there were national security concerns surrounding Dr. Oz, who uh, Donald Trump has endorsed. Mike Pompeo's endorsing the other guy in the Pennsylvania Senate race, the guy who lives in Pennsylvania, unlike Dr. Oz. Kind of funny about that because, you know, when Mike Pompeo was in in the early days of Trump, you had a guy in the Trump White House who was the national security advisor who was secretly a foreign agent for Turkish government. But Mike Pompeo never had a problem with that particular individual. You know who I'm talking about. Um, I want to talk about Chuck Todd. Who, who is now making the move of his Meet the Press Daily Show uh, to be online and how this demotion is being spun as a promotion somehow. It, it's totally insane. They announced to Chuck Todd that he was going to be moving to MSNBC's streaming service, and uh, he didn't say anything because Chuck Todd's not allowed to ask follow-up questions. I, I, I want to talk about Maggie Haberman with this look at former Defense Secretary Mark Esper's memoir, A Sacred Oath, where he talks about how Donald Trump wanted him to shoot missiles into Mexico to destroy drug labs and then lie and say, we never did it. And Mark Esper was so horrified by this that he said nothing and waited two years to use that information to sell a crappy book nobody's going to buy. I I, want to talk about how Ron DeSantis is celebrating Teacher Appreciation Week by taking seven days off from calling them groomers. But, you know, I I, I can't talk about any of that stuff tonight because I got to talk about the Supreme Court's leaked decision that takes rights away from Americans. Usually when the Supreme Court does something revolutionary, it's to give new rights to Americans. But this is a bold new era of taking rights away from Americans. Now, you guys already know, Tennessee has a trigger law that if Roe is overturned, 30 days after the reversal, nobody will be able to get an abortion in the state unless they're in danger of losing their life. No exceptions for rape. No exceptions for incest. And the Tennessee governor just signed into law a bill making it a crime in that state to mail abortion pills. You can get 20 years in jail or a $50,000 fine for mailing abortion pills to a woman. Almost half of U.S. states now have restrictions on medication abortion. We just found out that, uh, you know, J.D. Vance, the guy who wrote that book, Hillbilly Zealotry, They asked him if a woman should be forced to carry pregnancy to term if it came from rape or incest. And he said he supported forcing women to give birth, even in cases where a pregnancy was, in his words, somehow inconvenient. This is what the Republican Party has become. Trigger laws in 13 states would immediately make abortion a crime in nearly all cases. And some of them make no exception for rape or incest. Arkansas, Idaho, Kentucky, Louisiana, Missouri, Mississippi, North Dakota, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Texas, Utah. Wyoming. This is what the Republican Party has become. And every day when I try and debate these people, they call me a baby killer, which is really embarrassing because my kid just turned 10. So if I'm a baby killer, guys, I suck at it. I, I've, I've clearly failed. I mean, I had so many chances to be a baby killer. I, I, I could have made it look like an accident. It would have been so easy. But I failed at that. And my child's already a decade old. So here's my point. The time has come for Democrats and moderates and liberals and progressives and atheists and agnostics and people who are anti-evil 
to take religion back from the Pharisees and the hypocrites. Now, I'm not talking about believing in things you don't believe in. I would never tell you to believe in any religious book that doesn't strike you as true. What I'm saying is take religion away from the Pharisees and hypocrites. I'm talking about removing the camouflage that right-wing Christians use to make their actions seem virtuous. Right-wing Christians, those are the people who believe a talking snake was literal fact, but love your enemies was just Jesus being all metaphorical. They're going to try and put women in jail for terminating pregnancies, which the Bible is not against and Jesus never mentioned. And why? You'll hear the same thing. I heard a woman this evening on Anderson Cooper say, I believe in the sanctity of life. They'll keep on saying that. And you might find this in your life when you're debating with your coworker or that jerk from high school you're still friends with on Facebook or your uncle racist or your aunt dead inside. Sanctity of life. Here's a fun exercise. Ask them sometime, what, what, what does the word sanctity mean? Sanctity is one of those bullshit words that sounds really important. We toss it around a lot. The definition of it is the state or quality of being holy, sacred, or saintly. The sanctity of life. They believe that life is holy, sacred, or saintly. Except they don't. Because nine out of ten times, these folks also believe in the death penalty. Or they supported Donald Trump assassinating the general of a country that never attacked us. Or they supported preemptive war in 2004 against the country that never attacked us. They support easy access to AR-15s. Nine times out of ten, these people didn't want vaccines or masks to protect the lives of other Americans. These people vote for a party that wants to cut WIC, that wants to cut SNAP. Their religion has got nothing to do with Jesus. Their religion is convenience. Their religion is criminalizing abortion, which the Bible doesn't call for. Their religion is pretending they're better than other people. These are the fake Christians who control our government, even though even though the majority of Americans have voted against their party. For Bush and for Trump, the majority of Americans voted against their party controlling the Senate. The Republican Senate is 50% of the Senate, but they represent 40 million fewer Americans than the Democratic Party in the Senate. This is the party of fake Christians who are fighting right now to let rapists be able to pick the mother of their next child. So let's talk about sanctity of life. In the book of Genesis, God says that life begins with first breath. In Exodus, God makes it clear that a woman's life is more valuable to his eyes than a fetus. Yeah, God says if you strike a woman who's pregnant and the fetus dies, you pay a fine to her husband. If you strike a woman who's pregnant and the woman dies, you pay with your life. God makes it very clear a fetus is property in the book of Exodus. We can go further in Numbers chapter 5, verse 11 to 31. He details the rather gruesome practice of how to give an abortion to a woman who is pregnant by a man who's not her husband. Yeah, I didn't write it, guys. Uh, in Deuteronomy, God says life is not sacred, chapter 28. God talks about ripping open pregnant mothers-to-be in the second book of Kings. God promises he'll kill unborn fetuses in Isaiah chapter 13. He talks about destroying fetuses in Hosea chapter 9. He talks about dashing infants to pieces and ripping open pregnant women's stomachs in Hosea chapter 13. Yeah. And by the way, ripping babies from the womb in Hosea, that only applies to Samaria, uh, the Samaritans, which makes Jesus' good Samaritan powerful, uh, parable much more powerful. 
So, so <laughs> look, I get this all the time when I debate these right-wing Christians. And I always ask them the same question. Go ahead and tell me. Tell me one teaching of Jesus that the Republican Party or Donald Trump fight for. And I, guys, I know I talk tabernacles too much. I'm way too focused on religion. But it's because I am in the camouflage removal business. And I'm tired of letting these empty suits and Pharisees take the religion of my mother and father. Take the religion of many, many good, truly good, caring Christians who believe in helping the poor, helping the sick, welcoming the stranger, being kind to those in prison. These are Christian values, values of Christ. These are not the values of modern conservative Christians. And I had a troll yesterday say, well, which policies of Trump violate the teachings of Christ? Seriously, if you can make a claim like that, surely you must have a few examples of direct violations of the teaching of Christ in Trump's policies. Give us five examples. I won't share the troll's name. You can go to my Twitter and read it. And I said, yeah, the Muslim ban. That's against everything Christ talked about. Bringing back the federal death penalty, which Trump did. Trump executed more people than any presidents combined in the last 60 years. Jesus overturns the death penalty in a Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Assassinations. Family separation policy. Trump's entire immigration policy is an insult to the teachings of Jesus. Trump tried to cut health care. They tried to kill Obamacare with no plan to cover the 45 million Americans who would lose coverage if the ACA went away. Trump's budget called for cutting Social Security and Medicare. Trump's tax bill made the rich richer. Trump bears false witness all over the place. That's lying. Trump bore false witness over 30,000 times in four years. Turning the other cheek. Trump's not a fan. He who lives by the sword will die by the sword. Oh, no, no, no. These people are all about more swords, more swords. Shall I talk about adultery? Shall I talk about divorce? Shall I talk about something, something, camel, something, something, eye of needle? Coveting thy neighbor's wife? Theft? Don't forget, Trump University literally stole from American citizens, including veterans, the scam online school. And this troll came back and he's like, I said, so tell me, there's a whole bunch of teachings of Jesus Donald Trump violated. Tell me one teaching of Jesus that Donald Trump's policies ever fought for. He goes, oh, set the captives free. When Jesus said, I've come to set the captives free. The First Step Act was a specific legislation which fulfills the Christian principle of setting the captives free. And I'm like, excuse me, Trump set the captives free? Trump escalated the drug war. In 2017, in a speech to cops in Long Island, in my hometown of Bohemia, he called for police to physically abuse suspects. He said, don't protect their heads when you shove them in the car. Trump brought back the federal death penalty. Trump doubled federal spending on private prisons. So no, guys, no. Trump's not the Antichrist, but Christ is the anti-Trump. Now listen, you don't need to believe in any of this Bible talk. You don't need to believe in any of it to use it against the fake Christians because the fake Christians are using the Bible. Well, actually, they're pretending to use the Bible to strip these rights away from women. And it's going to hurt poor women. It's going to hurt the very people Jesus came to stand up for, the poor. It's going to fuck with their own state economies. And it's going to make things worse. How can a handful of Supreme Court justices be allowed to lie? at their confirmation hearings and not get busted for perjury? Why are religious right churches still given tax exemption if they're interfering in our government? You know, Alito, who wrote this opinion, he said that Navy SEAL could could, uh, blow off COVID-19 vaccines and claim a religious exemption. He fought for that. They're now saying you can not just use your religion to 
hurt other people and get around the law, they're saying you can just make shit up and pretend your religion somehow teaches this. Think about Mike Pence and the religious freedom laws, discriminating against gay taxpaying citizens in Indiana. I, I want them all to say there is nothing in the parts of Jesus that justifies any kind of homophobia. You can't use it. Arguing that a potential life of a fetus is more important than a current life has nothing to do with Jesus. Putting women and doctors in jail for abortion has nothing to do with Jesus. Screaming shit at women outside clinics has nothing to do with Jesus. Just like supporting reality show racist clowns who lie to you has nothing to do with patriotism. Guys, this is not anti-Christian. This is anti-fake Christian bullshit. I have never attacked Christians, but I like to mock hypocrites. And Jesus keeps teaching us how to mock religious hypocrites. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. The Last Victim is a new neo-Western survival thriller set in rural Americana in which an aging sheriff is pursuing a murderous gang of outlaws who are pursuing a witness to murder played by Ali Larder. Now, this movie's deeply psychological, and I got to say it's gorgeously shot. It is the feature debut of director Naveen Chathapuram, who uh, landed the great Ron Perlman for the role of Sheriff Hickey. Ron Perlman being the Golden Globe winner who has become one of our greatest character actors. Whether this man is playing a biker in Sons of Anarchy, a caveman in Quest for Fire, a black market organ trader in Pacific Rim, we've all been there. Whether he's playing a half-demon summoned to Earth by Nazis in a little indie film called Hellboy, a Jewish mobster in Drive, a monk in the name of the Rose. This gentleman just had two films up for Best Picture in the same year, Nightmare Alley and Don't Look Up. And most importantly, he is still the official righteous bad motherfucker of Twitter. What a pleasure to welcome Ron Perlman back to the show. Hello, sir. Well, I will never live up to all of the beautiful things you just said, but I appreciate the effort big time. How does it feel at this point to have interviews like this? And when you hear the people interviewing you run through the list of credits and talk, I mean, I didn't even get to a 10th of your credits there. How does it feel to hear the ones that pop up again and the ones that people care about? Well, I got to admit, I'm, I'm, uh, it took me a long time to um, kind of have a, a decent perspective on things. You know, um, I had a rather dysmorphic uh, view of myself and how I fit into the world, which I think is what, what acted as the springboard to me wanting to become an, 
an actor. Um, I think probably north of 75% of the people who are actors do so because they're um, essentially uncomfortable in their own skin when they, when they discover that they can inhabit someone else's skin, someone they can make up and make as perfect as they want to. Um, then they, they, they hit this kind of drug-like, um, aphrodisia-like uh, sensation that yep. they can't find in real life. And they look for it over and over and over again. So it's one role after another role after another role. Then you get to the point where you become more comfortable with yourself and you either don't no longer need to be an actor or you be an actor for reasons different from how it started out. I'm, I'm finally coming to terms with that now. And um, so, I mean, for me, being an actor has taken on a completely different patina than it did you know, when I, when I first started out it was, it was almost like a therapy before. Yeah. Now it's become something that I, that I, um, value, um, as a member of, of, of the world community, as, uh, I've come to find out that there are very few precious, precious things in life that can contribute to the greater good, chief among them being storytelling, because storytelling is um, the thing that uh, is the most inclusive and the most community oriented, because you, when you're doing it correctly, you're hitting upon um, experiences and values and emotions that affect everybody from all seven continents, rich, poor, um, you know, privileged, unprivileged. And so that there's a, a nobility to, to the, the, the endeavor that I didn't realize existed when I was a younger man, when I was doing it for more self-indulgent reasons. So to hear you kind of describe me, um, I'm, able, I'm able to objectify that and, I, and I'm, I'm filled with pride, actually. I'm, I'm filled with pride that um, I'm still doing it. Uh, I'm loving it more now than ever before. And that I understand its value in a way that makes me fight for it as much as I want to fight for all of the other things that I find um, can make the world a better place and can make us kind of more in touch with our better angels. You, you make me think of people like Gene Hackman or Nicholson, who apparently have really just walked away. They just didn't need to do it anymore, and they didn't need to go out with a big final film. They just decided that they had reached it. They had nothing left to prove. But in, in, in your case, you know, I agree that for many it is therapy, or we can't afford the therapy. And we get that sense of belonging or that sense of, of passion or what my mother, the nun, called the presence of the Holy Spirit. My mother thought that actors and real artists have a ministry. I know in your case that you were a, a heavier child, but I also know your dad was incredibly encouraging, was he not? But there was nothing wrong with me in the eyes of my dad. He uh, only saw the positivity in me, and, and um, there was nothing but encouragement and... Um, and, and the feeling of complete safety when I was around him, or even not around him, just the fact that he was 
somewhere in the universe. Um, I lost him when I was 19, so I had to completely make him up after that and, you know, keep him with me in ways that were something other than, you know, um, of this of this ilk, of this world. So he, he, be, he became my virtual spirit guide and um, um, the one who I always looked to when I was unsure of my values. But yeah, my dad was, uh, and then there's a story that I've told many times before. I'll try to make it brief because it's not particularly original, but that is that he came to see me in a play in college and then came back the next night by himself. And he wasn't supposed to be there. And I saw him there. I said, dad, I'm going out with my friends. What are you doing here? He goes, no, no, no. I just, I'm not here to hang out with you. Go have a good time with your friends. I'll see you. I'll see you at home later. I just wanted to check something out. And then the next day we were in the car together. And I said, what was that? What was that thing last night? He goes, well, I saw something the night before. And, uh, I, I, I wouldn't let my eyes believe what I saw. So I needed to come back and see it again. But this thing that you do when you're on stage, you need to keep doing it because this is your thing. And, and a year and a half later, he was gone. So it was almost like a deathbed instruction that I remain an actor, that I had found my calling and that I was getting permission and guidance from the person on the planet that meant the most to me. So there was never any looking back after that. That was a Guys and Dolls production, right? Exactly. I guess you have heard me tell that story heard the story. I'm sorry, I, man. No, no. I'm sorry, I, mean, I, I, I No, no, because I lost my dad, and, and, and it, it resonates with me. And I, I wonder if, I mean, that sounds like the kind of story that probably made even more sense to you when you became a father. Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, um, uh, no, I mean, you, you, you know, you, you hopefully go through this life and learn the best lessons from the best people. And, and then say, these are the things, if I ever get my own shot at doing this, that I implement, um, so much of the dad that I was, was based on what, you know, all of the, warmth and positive memories I had from my relationship with him. And I tried to just recreate that to the extent that I could with my kids. Ron, you're, you're, I know your, your big roles always get a lot of hype, but I've always wanted to watch you ever since quest for fire and in any project that you choose, because I find the films you choose very interesting. I loved your work in hand of God. I, I loved your work in Asher and you signed on here to work with a, a first time director uh, for this new film. And I'm curious, what does it take for you to get to you to say yes to a script and commit to that time? Well, it's basically always starts with the writing. You know, if, if I'm reading something and I don't know what's going to come on the next page, you know, for lack of a better word, it's a page turner and it's a world that I I've never seen before, or I have seen, but I've never seen quite this way before. And it's handled with, intelligence and sophistication and nuance and multi-dimensionality. Um, I am very, very, the next thing I do is look at the role that they're asking me to consider. 
And if I like the guy, if I want to spend time with the guy, if I feel like I can be effective playing the guy, then we go and try to make the deal. Um, the thing about first time filmmakers is my first ever first time filmmaker was a fellow, which I don't even know what happened to him, but his name was Guillermo del Toro. He was this, this kid from Guadalajara, Mexico. And, um, boy, I wish, I wish, I wish him the best. Yeah. He crazy kid with a dream. Yeah. A little, little Mexican kid with a dream, but this was the experience that changed the entire direction of my life was, you know, being there to watch the emergence of uh, a guy who's never done it before and who is now going to, you know, contribute to um, a new trajectory in filmmaking. That's what Guillermo del Toro did. So I've been kind of favoring the first time filmmaker ever since, because I feel like, yeah. you know, it's, 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 it's kind of a lucky charm. And I feel like if I get, the worst thing that can happen is I'm wrong and the picture stinks and the guy has no talent, but that doesn't usually happen. In, in the case of this fellow, Naveen, um, who you pronounced his last name better than I ever could, um, just based on the fact that he wrote the script and that his observations about humanity and, and character and, and storytelling were as sophisticated as they were, I, I figured, he, he, how, you know, he can't stray very far in terms of putting it on the screen. Right. So I jumped in and um, um, now having seen the film, I was right. You know, it's a beautiful film to look at. It's effective. It does exactly what it sets out to do. And um, I'm proud to be in it. I, I was watching the film and I was thinking about other roles of yours. And, and it occurred to me watching this movie that there's really there's two kinds of strong men. There's the abusive bullies who prey on the vulnerable and the protectors who look out for the vulnerable. And you've played a lot of both in your career. And I'm curious what the very disparate kinds of characters you've played have helped you come to understand about what it is to be a man and the kind of man that you want to be. Because I think it relates directly to your politics and your outspokenness as well. I mean, you know, there was, we were very, very poor, lower middle class family. We lived in a two bedroom apartment, the four of us. Um, it was always a rental. Nobody ever owned anything in the Perlman family until I bought my first house after my first TV series. I didn't know how to buy a house. I wasn't wired to buy a house. I, you know, I got completely screwed with it. But I come from a long line of, of, of renters who never had a pot to piss in. And um, the thing that was always um, kind of the cornerstone of uh, the philosophy around my house was justice and the lack thereof, how the little guy is always getting fucked. I could say that on your show, right? Yeah, it's, it's encouraged, yes. Is. Yes. And it's encouraged? Yes, it's encouraged. You hear? Yeah, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, okay, great, because I came to the right place. Um, <laughs> so that that was, that. Was, I mean, I in thinking about, like, because I, I really, I talked to you about this when I was on your show the last time, that I have a, I'm, I'm kind of of two minds about this whole Twitter thing, yeah. you know, Sometimes you feel like you're doing it 
you 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 want to feel like you're doing it for reasons other than self-aggrandizement, uh, shining a spotlight on how clever you are, shining a spotlight on on you know creating enough drama around you that people become more interested, or you're just basically doing it because you're trying to raise your voice in service of uh, an injustice um, and in service of people who don't have a voice or don't have the following that you have. So I'm always struggling with that. Um, Huh? Really? Because I I see it as it's all self-promotion, but what is it that we're promoting, right? Everyone's there to promote themselves, but some of us do it to promote the causes of the less fortunate. Some of us do it to justify cruelty, and some of us do it to show off what we had for lunch. I mean, if everyone's there for the same reason to say, dig me, it's what you do with that, I think, that that matters. And it's why I think that what you do with it makes it so important. Yeah. Um, I love you, John, but I don't know if I agree with you. Um, right on. Because there's, there's a lot of motivations for, uh, and, and the cross-section of people that I follow, some of the great minds and, and writers and journalists and and artists and activists, you know, um, they're, they're uh, the springboard for their desire to make a statement at any particular given time and place and put it onto Twitter is very different from a lot of people who basically have never had a voice that mattered and now all of a sudden they have a platform and they're willing to say anything for attention. Yeah, those are two very different impulses. And um, so that's what I'm struggling with is which one am I? Um, and uh, so, you know, in, in the midst of that dialectic, you, you try very hard to make sure that what it is you're doing is something that you absolutely have to completely have to say. Yeah, because you're, you're, you're looking at a world that has completely turned itself upside down. You're looking at a situation that is um, almost unfathomable. And yet it's it's holding sway over the entire country um, and the entire world, etc. So there you have it. I get what you're saying. I got to say, though, that one of my favorite new film genres has been the single-shot Ron Perlman video he posts on Twitter telling off whatever fevered political empty suit ego he's got to tell off. Because, again, celebrity might be the dumbest thing we've ever invented as a species. So to have that capital and to use it to call out these frauds and charlatans and fascists the way you do, I consider to be both moral and to be deeply entertaining. If you can do it. I mean, that's why, to me... I got to do it in joke form for, for, you know, I mean, I do political standup and, and, and it, for me, I've got to try to mm-hmm. make it entertaining. I don't want to just be someone up there pontificating and ranting. And what you do is so entertaining. And the fact that, you know, you're using this fame to get there to me, it reminds me of a lot of your characters. It's, it, you know, using the strength to fight for the little guy. That's, that's your character from city of lost children. That's your character from nightmare alley to bring it back to del Toro, because the, the love you have, for this girl, and, and you promised her father that you would protect her. I see the same kind of ethic in the causes you fight for it, it, that I see in some of your characters. It's a it's a mm. purposing of strength for good rather than 
for cruelty? Well, yeah, I mean, and uh, there's um, the, 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 I mean, what you're seeing on social media, the, the, the rift between the two ways of thinking, and then really there, there, are, there are many other ways than two, but the two being, you know, the blue state way of thinking and the red state way of thinking. Yeah. And the red state way of thinking is encompassing things that remind me now more of Sharia law and of ISIS yeah. than they do of, uh, you know, the, the founding father's vision of, uh, you know, uh, a representative society um, where we are all uh, grateful for uh, our freedoms and liberties and willing to fight for them and fight against fascism and injustice around the world and fight for those who are so obsessed with power that human rights become um, something you would squash on your, under your feet like, a, like a, an anthill. Yeah. Um, so um, we have that living and, and, and thriving in the United States of America right now to the point where, and the discussion is not hyperbole, you know, we are one election away from losing our democracy. We just had a court ruling where we, we, you know, we inched another few, not inched, but, you know, miles closer toward an authoritarian um, society with this Roe versus Wade uh, bullshit that's happening. Um, These three fucking assholes who lied in front of Congress to get their jobs. First thing they do is they do exactly what they said they weren't going to do. Exactly. And, you know, I just personally want to say, sorry, you're fired now. You, you perjured yourself in front of Congress in order to get a job. You're fired. You're off the court. And next, that's what I want to do. That's what we all want to do. All of yeah. us who are fighting for um, human rights, which is a woman gets to choose what she does with her life, what she does with her body. And um, really not just a woman, but men and women who find themselves in a situation where they cannot afford or they know that they will be horrible parents or they know that they're going to give the kid away or they know that this kid is going to have a a ridiculously, you know, um, impossible life completely born behind the eight ball. You have to give those people a chance to, to do something about that. And that's just the way it is. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. Ah. 
Mr. Conniff, there's so much I want to talk to you about in the news, and I want to find out about all the gigs you're doing with the Mads are back. But let's talk to some of our evil army of the night. People are very excited sure, to sure. bring you their political comments or their questions for relationship advice. Uh, let's start with Catherine in Las Vegas. Hello, Catherine. You're on with TV's Frank. Hi, thank you. So thank you. I have two requests for everybody out there. Please. Um, and the first is that um, I know that we have a tendency to, and they don't even make an exception for the health and safety of the mother or argue for abortion with this many ectopic pregnancies per year or this many complications. But my question is, why do I have to be literally dying before I get to make any decisions about my own self? You know, either I'm a fully formed functioning human capable of making my own decisions or my lady brain can't handle the hard stuff. So, like, I understand that it's the easiest argument to make, but at the same time, the fact that we're arguing on the fringes is why the conversation on the right completely leaves us out of it, as if the only consideration is the fetus and not the fully formed human carrying it. We're just the vessel. Well, you know? I, I actually, I asked Samuel Alito about this, Catherine, and he said you should have thought of this before you chose to be born a woman. <laughs> I know! God, that was so stupid of me. Yeah, so, so better luck next time. Frank? Yeah, that's what you said. You you know, why can't I be treated like a fully formed human? Uh, the Republic, the, you're a woman, so you're not considered a fully formed human by the Republican Party. They they hate you for your gender, and I'm not. That's not even um, hyperbole for me to say that. That's the official um, policy of the Republican Party is to take freedoms away from women, and and they would love to have it back. You know, before you before you could vote, or before anyone except white men had any rights, that's the America that they love. That's the America they long for, and yeah. it's it's. But can we be it, fair, Frank? Now, in, in every policy, and in every and it's always been that way. It's just more. It's more obvious now. But can we be fair, Frank? The men who wrote the Bible didn't consider women to be fully formed humans, and the men who wrote the Constitution didn't consider women to be fully formed humans either. So uh, honestly, Catherine, you should be flattered. You're you're in good company. Yeah, right. By the way, yeah, Missouri's I new mean... abortion law, I just want to point out, Missouri's new abortion law would ban abortion even for ectopic pregnancies, and that will kill women. Yes. <clears throat> and uh, ending Roe v. Wade, as you know, and I'm sure you've said many times already, will kill will also kill women. Yeah. Um, you know, but see, count the number of abusive men in this country that will kill women. And if a woman is in an abusive relationship, maybe she wants to end the pregnancy because exactly. she knows that being tied to this man is a death sentence, even if the pregnancy isn't. Exactly. You know, there are a hundred thousand different reasons why. And the reason that that woman wouldn't want to tell anybody and needs the right to be privacy is because lack of privacy. Yeah. endangers her life you know there's a thousand reasons sorry go yeah. ahead no yeah. i was just going to say we shouldn't um like present this as if there's bad reasons for having an abortion um any exactly. reason that a woman wants to have an abortion is is yes. fine if you if if you had a a, a great night of sex and 
and a condom broke or, you know, something didn't go right and then you got pregnant. If you want to have an abortion because of that, because you want to keep working at your job, you don't want your life to be completely changed. That's a perfectly fine. Any reason is a good reason to have an abortion. Right. And we've been we as the Democrats have been arguing at the fringes for decades. And the fact that we've been arguing at the fringes, all it does is reinforce their argument that women are bad, dirty sluts. And if we would stop arguing only in the health and safety of the mother or in the case of rape incest and just say it's none of your damn business i agree can make her own decisions we wouldn't have gotten to this point exactly you know you always you always hear people who are who you know uh, democrats or whatever politicians when they they'll always start a sentence with well, nobody thinks abor- it's good to have an abortion, but right. there should be a right to choose. But that first part of that sentence should be eliminated. Right. And that's like my first request to everybody out there. Please do that. OK. And my Thank second you. request is really simple. Please. OK. Uh, every single person listening right now, how many phone calls did you make this week? Did you show up to a protest this week? How many people did you call to see if they're registered to vote this week? Right on. I get that we're all stressed out, but I remember the Women's March a couple years back where 5 million people showed up and vowed that they were going to do whatever it took to protect women. And now we literally had the hammer come down to say, women, you are losing your rights to be a human being with their own thoughts and their own dreams and their own lives. And how many people showed up? None. We're going to wait until after the Supreme Court decision comes down, and then we're going to throw the big rally slash party with the celebrities and talk about how upset we are and talk about how we're going to organize. Can you honestly tell me that if 5 million people were in the streets today, all those people that pledged to protect women were in the streets today and tomorrow and the next day, that this conversation wouldn't be over and women would have their rights? Well, Catherine, which which celebrities will be there? Because maybe Frank and I will come. Oh, good Lord. I mean, <laughs> no, man, I'm with you all also, the way on this. But again, will be there. God but again, we also have to we also have to remember, there. Catherine, <laughs> this is just the first week. We've only known this for 96 hours and the outrage is going to build. And if anything, this was released at the perfect time. Uh, we've got uh, several months for people to mobilize and organize. Democrats are already raising f- funds over this. The Democratic Party raised over $5 million by Tuesday morning after this was announced. People are getting mobilized. People are getting organized. And the protests will only grow. We're all going to be a part of it. Because you know what? Alito finally found a way to get Democrats to show up for the midterms. 